I feel like it's manageable still. No, I'm not. I'm saying it's bad. It's just different. Mm, you were implying it. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> oh my god! We're starting off on the wrong foot today. <laughs> Shit. This is Van Collar. We're at the West Coast. <laughs> My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I am joined by a podcast favorite. I've had so many people, including my dad, Mo Sr., tell me that they want her back on the show. She is one of Canada's most prominent and influential criminal defense and impaired driving lawyers. Thanks to her high-profile string of success in courts and tribunals, she's also the host of the Driving Law podcast. She is renowned for her knowledge of the immediate roadside prohibitions, IRP. And if you want to go back to hear her episode from October 2019, it is a comprehensive episode about how wacky Canadian impaired driving laws are. It's an episode that still holds up. And if you're looking for a detailed discussion on that topic, you're going to get it in that episode, episode 53. Having covered DUI law in that episode last year, we're going to chat about a bunch of other things today. You've heard her and seen her in all the local media all the time. She is a lawyer at Acumen Law, and she's also my friend. She is Kyla Lee. Kyla! Hi! How are you? <laughs> I'm so happy to be back here. It's nice to have you back here. It was, it's been a long time since I've seen you. Like This is the first time we've seen each other since the world fell apart. Yeah, that would be correct. And I also love that every time we get together... We are recording a podcast or filming a music video yep. or sitting on a panel together. <laughs> We're accomplishing stuff, We're getting it done. Creating. Yeah. Yeah. Mo Senior is very excited for this. I wasn't I, joking about that. I love your dad. Your dad is awesome. <laughs> He's a big fan of yours. I think he was actually starstruck when he met you because he will still either text me or sometimes even phone me anytime he catches you in the media. And he'll be like, oh, I saw your friend Kyla on the news today. Great legal advice as always. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, she's she's pretty smart. Oh, he's so sweet. Your dad's cool though. He's got some bad style. Really? You think so? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's probably smiling hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? That phrase, how are you, is like a formality sometimes, but I try to ask it sincerely, but especially in this case. Because you survived the Rona. You survived coronavirus. Yes. You were down for like a little while, right? Yeah, I had 19 days of symptoms. And wow. then the flare-ups ever since. And flare-ups. We're here in studio right now. I hope you do not test positive for corona. But even though you're testing negative, you're still having symptoms or flare-ups. Yeah, basically every couple weeks or months I get all of the symptoms of coronavirus come back. So the breathing problems, the coughing, the sore throat, my temperature spikes. I had a temperature of 38.1 for 10 days straight the wow. last time. Yeah. So I have to go back into isolation. They send me off. They give me a bunch of tests. I go to the hospital. I get a bunch of COVID tests. They all come back negative. Hmm. And their conclusion is, oh, yeah, this happens to a lot of people who had COVID. Indeed. This is a thing. This, this is, is not thing. just you. And it's not psychosomatic where it's like in your head or. No, like I that. wish it were in my head. <laughs> I just spend 10 days in my house trapped again, not knowing if I'm like contagious. It's horrible. 
Are you contagious? Am I in trouble right now? Well, not when I'm ha- not having a flare-up. But when you have a flare-up, even though you're showing negative, are you contagious? No, Possi- right? Well, possibly. They don't know. They haven't had enough people that they've tested, and you, they, they know so little about this. They don't know why it happens. If it's like, you know, like when you get chicken pox as a kid, and then mm-hmm. as an adult, you get shingles? Right. They don't know, is, is it like that, but just in a much more limited time? So I have no clue. Coronavirus shingles. Yeah, basically. 2021, here we go. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. did Not just having coronavirus, but just in a general sense, this whole pandemic, did it affect any plans that you had for 2020? A lot of them. This was the first year I was going to take like a real vacation. Like <laughs> You got one at home. You got the best staycation ever. Uh, oh, yeah. I worked. I worked <laughs> the whole time. While you had corona? Yeah. Yeah. I was very productive. Because I just sat at my... Doroshenko sounds like a horrible boss, by the way. No, he is wonderful. <laughs> he, you know, I, I had stuff I had to get done. I had trials that had to be adjourned. Mm. I had clients that needed servicing. You know, the, Paul's not really my boss. It's the clients that are my boss. Okay. So. Sorry to <laughs> make that distinction. Oh. I just wanted to blame him for yeah. something. Well, I mean, everybody does. He's an easy target. He is. <laughs> So you were planning to take a vacation. You didn't book anything, though, did you? I hadn't booked any travel, but I had booked um, a hotel in... Oh, where? A very expensive hotel that I was supposed to go for a conference Mm. that I was putting on in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there was going to be like 100 lawyers signed up to go. We were going to meet a U.S. Supreme Court justice and have a swearing-in ceremony for a bunch of people. It was a big deal. Which Supreme Court justice? We don't know till the day, but we were pretty sure it was going to be RBG. Really? Yeah. So that's a bummer. That's a bummer to have lost out. Yeah. So lost out on the conference, lost out on my plans in September to go to Disney World. That ain't going to happen. Yeah. You lost out on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, and I've covered this in previous podcasts, but I feel like we all came out starting the new year with our big plans. And then coronavirus happened. <laughs> and some of us got super sad, self-included. And you just had to adapt, right? You had to figure out something else. But it is weird because, like, I'm just thinking about even summer in Vancouver. We've had some beautiful weather. But we've missed, like, Pride, the fireworks. Like, there's all these festivals, mm-hmm. Bart on the Beach. Like, just things that are mainstays and staples that some years you go, some years you don't go. And we have none of it. Yeah, none of it. Right? So it's been like a good summer weather-wise, but just weird in terms of the being in the city. And if you're not, you know, like me, you're not a person that's really into like the outdoor activities, like hiking and biking and mm. what do you do? It's nice out. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> what event is there? Yeah. But there's nothing. And so. even getting together with big groups. Yeah. Right? I've seen four of my friends. Hmm. And now you. So five, five of my friends. <laughs> you, still got a, uh, yep. you still got your bubble going. Yeah, so that's good. I do. I'm very bubbled. I've definitely cheated on my bubble. <laughs> Dr. Bonnie Henry would be mad. <laughs> she doesn't have to know. <laughs> she's going to listen. That's probably why she's not coming on the show. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried so hard. I've tried every angle to get her on the show. But uh, we'll see. It's still possible. You never know. But what about your plans? I heard you had some plans. I heard a rumor. What was the rumor? I heard a rumor that you are running for office. It's an interesting rumor. Uh Uh-huh. It's one that I've heard as well. It's come back to me. Are you the source of the rumor? (laughs) No. 
<laughs> I might imagine that. <laughs> I've got some proxies to put this out. Everyone, mm-hmm. let's get this name out. No, I think we live in a very small city. And you might think that only a couple people know, but everyone knows everyone's business, mm-hmm. whether it's said out loud or not. No, I am not running for office anytime soon. But you should. The idea was tossed to me, and I think the knee-jerk reaction was like, no, no, why would I do that? And I did think about it afterwards, even after I said no. And then I said, okay, well, let's talk about it some more. I want to learn more, which should have been my initial response and usually is my response. And yeah, I learned about the process. I kind of learned about what this particular party was thinking And I just realized it wasn't for me. There's coronavirus. Mm -hmm. If we go into a fall election, which is very possible, or even a spring election, just not enough time to build out a campaign crew. And then also the podcast is blowing up. I don't want to be tagged to one official party, right? right? Like I do, since I'm not a journalist, I have the luxury of supporting specific people, and I do, and I don't care about what people say about me if I do that. But it's much different when you're like running for a party. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it was a good experience. It was a good experience even just getting into that that meeting and talking to people about it. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot. I was ready to come on here and I was ready to be like I endorse Mo. Oh, really? Vote for Mo. Mo for governor, Mo for president, Mo for other Canadian All election positions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been awesome. So I can count on you whenever I make that call. Yeah, if you make that call, you got my I'm I'm there. Nice. I'll be like waving flags at your rallies. <laughs> I don't know anything about running for politics. All I know is what I see on American TV. You know what was news to me? is that often people run not to win. And what I mean by that is, and this was part of the discussion, is like some candidates will run in a riding to promote a certain issue, or they will run as like a practice run and they have like a two-election strategy or two-election plan of how they're going to get elected. And then others just run to raise their profile within a party, hoping that they're going to get a party or a government gig afterwards. And that's why you see so many like failed candidates who like end up back in the political system. And when that was explained to me as well, I was just like, oh, I thought the only reason you would run is to win. (laughs) Yeah. If I were going to do it, I'd be like, okay, so I'm going to do this and then I'm going to become a minister. And then I guess I'll just be like the head of state and... Yeah. But no. <laughs> that would be that would be the only reason I would run is to win. Like Yeah. I, I mean obviously to do good work, but I mean there would be no other ulterior motive of like You can't do any work if you don't win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to win, then do the good work. Yeah. So so that was interesting and it makes yeah, just learning a little bit about that definitely gave me a little bit of a different perspective. And I just realized I was not in that mindset to to do that. Okay. So you would never run for office or you would? You know, I, uh, no. (laughs) I think it's always an instinctive no from people. Yeah. I mean, people have asked me too, but I love what I do Mm. and I don't want to stop doing what I do and I don't want to, I don't know. I don't like the, the politics is so dirty, you know, because as a lawyer, there's some people who can say 
stuff about me, like people on Twitter. Um, but, you know, other lawyers can't say shit about me because there's rules. Right. At least not publicly. Um, <laughs> and I like the civility of that. I don't like the lack of civility in politics. You don't like it. No. I feel like you could mix it up, though, if you like, wanted I mean, to. It's entertaining to look at beefs. <laughs> it's fun to watch them, but I wouldn't want to be involved in that. You got a couple of beefs around town? Come on. Me? You seem no to beefs. revel in them. <laughs> I admit nothing. <laughs> it's funny. Those were almost secondary <clears throat> considerations, because I think, and I've heard this from so many politicians, is like, before you get into politics, everyone likes you. You're like a popular person. People think you're cool. You're good people. And then you run for politics and God forbid you win. And then you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> everyone hates you at that point. One of your famous favorite podcast guests, David Eby, is mm. a great example of that. Yeah. Lawyers loved him before he became the attorney general. And now... You'd be hard-pressed to find a lawyer who has nothing but nice things to say about DVD. Really? Yeah. I mean, I like him, but... They all turn against him? Well, he's doing some terrible stuff. No, he's not. Stop saying that. To the ICBC regime? <laughs> it's basically, I trust him. I trust him. He's eliminating the jobs of, like, 6,000 lawyers? Yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> not me. I'm not affected by it. <laughs> They'll be fine. I'm sure they will, but... Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Mayor Kennedy Stewart actually told me the same thing as well. And this was very early on in the podcast, but he said the same thing that he was an SFU prof and suddenly he's, you know, quite popular. But as soon as he runs for office, it's just everyone, mm -hmm. he felt like everyone turned on him. And I mean, everything you do, like if you're in a political position, you, everything you do is scrutinized. Yeah. I don't, yeah. you know, I'd like <laughs> Who to you take a photo with. Yeah. Right. People come up to you all the time wanting photos. And if you don't know who that person is and they turn out to be someone who's not that great, you could get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So there you go. See, it's all bad. <laughs> but you got a decent expense account. The pension is money. That's true. I say this is you and I both, people who don't have pensions. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I just, wait. Uh, I put it in the mattress, all the money. <laughs> who knows with this banking system these days? But no, it's, it's, it's got its perks. Yeah. Right? I saw a bunch of politicians tweeting about how no one gives them enough credit. And I was very irked by that. They literally get all the credit for everything. I don't know. I, I've, and when I thought about it, I feel like a lot of them say that. They're like, you know, people don't give us enough credit or this job is really tough. Mm -hmm. It's like. Is it though? Is it? Yeah. Like we're in a pandemic. You have people getting paid minimum wage to put their lives on the line by working at the grocery store. You have nurses that are overworked. Like there's so many professions that seem like they would be a lot harder. <laughs> like, correct me if I'm wrong, but during this whole pandemic, like even when the ledge was shut down or there was only limited like skeleton MLAs, everybody still got their full salary. I don't know that for certain, but I'm going to assume so. Yeah. We would have read about their sacrifice if they took a little That's pay true. cut. <laughs> yeah. No MLAs have been paid. <laughs> have you been following the news about Canada's Governor General Julie Payette? Yes, I have. 
So she's an astronaut or was an astronaut. And apparently as soon as she took office at Rideau Hall, which is where all the governor general business is conducted, like shit just hit the fan. I was watching this clip on CBC and one of, I guess, her current or former employees in the public sector called it a house of horrors. And allegedly, she's being throwing around paper. She's berating and insulting people. She's publicly humiliating staff. And these are stories from like a dozen sources. And it's about pattern behavior. It's not a day that she had a meltdown or anything. (laughs) It's like she's creating this environment of fear. And apparently, she would quiz staff on the solar system, I guess, to like remind them that she was an astronaut. That's (laughs) like just pop quiz. And it's if they got, a planet. <laughs> yeah. And then if they got stuff wrong, she would break them. Wow. And she has this secretary, Asunta Di Lorenzo. And Di Lorenzo was also in on the bullying. <laughs> so she's basically acting as like the governor general's underboss. Enforcer. And first of all, pause. I didn't realize that there was actual work at the governor general's office. Like, I thought you'd just travel a lot, go to ceremonial events, give flowery speeches. I didn't realize that it's supposed to be this high-stress environment. Yeah, what what does the governor general do besides, like, rubber stamp laws and give out awards? I have no idea. I think they travel a lot. That That's something that was talked about in this CBC expose, that they do travel quite a bit and mm-hmm. basically act as like a representative of the government, because they are technically the head of state. This the, they're the representative of the queen, right? Yes, but they are also the head of state in Canada, right. technically. So I don't know what actual quote unquote work they do. Like it's the spokesperson job where also you don't get any tough questions. <laughs> Well, it sounds very stressful. How do I get at that job? (laughs) I mean, on the one hand, when I read things like that, I think this is really horrible and nobody should have to work in an environment like that. But on the other hand, I think to some experiences I've had as a woman who is mostly in charge of an office, subject to whatever Paul says, usually I set him straight if I don't agree, Um, but mostly in charge of an office. And I have a certain standard that I want people to live up to because we're doing professional work. Mm-hmm. Now, I like to think I'm probably like have more responsibilities than somebody who just rubber stamps laws. You probably uh, do. But, you know, there have more been More responsibilities, but lower stakes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, maybe not individually for my clients, but yeah. Hmm, sure. Um, there have been times where people have said, you know, that I'm a bitch or that I'm mean or that I'm uh, demanding or short. And it's like, I'm never intending to be those things, but people will will say that about me because of the way I ask for things. And I think it is gendered. So I wonder if this is about gender. That's fair. I'm referring to this idea of like clearly throwing tantrums. These are the accusations, right? Like throwing tantrums, trying to publicly shame or humiliate people that are working under you, like using your power in almost a way that doesn't make sense to make other people feel bad. And 
like if that's what's going on then obviously that's not just a gendered thing but i think there are lots of instances where as a woman if you're in a, a position of power people perceive you as throwing a tantrum or demeaning or humiliating when you're really just trying to identify a problem and get it fixed in a direct way but is it appropriate taking into account that these are allegations but let's assume that they're true <laughs> Regardless of whether you're a man or woman, like throwing paper around, I don't know. If I saw a boss that was like throwing reports around a boardroom, I wouldn't think that that's leadership or that's a strong person. It's definitely not a good leadership <laughs> quality. But how many movies have you seen where like there's some male boss figure who comes in and he's upset about something and he throws a paper in a boardroom or yeah, in an he's office. acting like a bitch. No, he's <laughs> acting like a boss because he's a dude. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to get hung up on the the semantics. No. You might you might have a point, but I'm just saying like if these allegations are true, I don't think it's a genderized lens that we're looking at this from because it all looks bad. Like I don't think it it's not about her being tough or curt or mm -hmm. to the point. Like a lot of this stuff sounds yeah, the really terrible. The, the quizzes on the solar system and, and throwing things. And I, I think I read something where she didn't want to see any of her security personnel. So she makes them hide in closets so she doesn't have to look at them when they're like protecting her. Um, I mean, if that stuff's true, that's just like a toxic work environment. And that's yeah. insane. Imagine being in space with that woman. <laughs> like she was an astronaut. Yeah. And one of the things was that she gets the worst and the most vicious while she's traveling right and that's traveling on earth <laughs> so just imagine like extraterrestrial travel with someone like that could it be different like if you're in space and you're with other astronauts you're all equals so you can't you're not like the boss of the other astronauts so you can't wield your power in an abusive way maybe it's different hmm. If it's somebody that's her equal, like it's not like we're hearing Justin Trudeau saying, oh, yeah, she's been horrible to me. Well, Justin Trudeau hasn't talked about it at all. He no. put out some mealy mouth statement and is As clapping usual. his hands away from this thing. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder when you have these horrible bosses, quote unquote, male or female. I wonder if that's the way they always were or if they become drunk with power and become this terrible boss as a result of that authority. I'm sure there's cases for both. Yeah. But I do wonder if there's a pattern, like if she was always that way. I think there is a pattern because I don't think like I think you can if you have somebody who is always that way, you can change them and correct that. But I don't think you can create something like that out of like a totally nice easygoing person and turn them into this crazy controlling demanding vicious individual mm -hmm. like i just i think that it's a lot more you know maybe we're going down to like the the nub of the debate is a lot more nature than nurture and even if it is nurture and, and nurture referring to the environment like this is not that high stress of a job no <laughs> Like, it's pretty cushy. <laughs> so if you're going to turn out that way as a result of being governor general, where you just get to travel and stay in nice hotels and give sweet speeches and people kiss your ass and, you know, treat you very nicely. I feel like I'd be even nicer. 
like, I feel yeah. like this is great. Like, I have the best job ever. <laughs> like, okay, maybe you have some like stressful deadlines that you have to meet and booking things and you're constantly on the go, but still, like, you know, it's not, it shouldn't create that type of person. I feel like I would probably be nicer too out of an accelerated sense of imposter syndrome. <laughs> That too, for sure. Yeah. I'd be like, oh my God, if I do one thing wrong, they're going to strip me of this position. Yeah. I'm going to go like back to being a nobody. <laughs> like, I they're going to send me back to the moon. Yeah. I'm going to be the nicest person ever. <laughs> on, on a sort of a more serious tangent with regard to this story, if these allegations are true, what sort of protections does the law provide for this kind of workplace harassment or bullying? Well, um, everybody that's working for her would be protected by all of the federal employment laws. Mm -hmm. So as federal government employees, they would be um, able to raise those grievances. And I imagine that most of her staff are unionized in some way. So they would be able to do that within the context of of their union, potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if it's a very serious case of workplace harassment, they could leave the workplace and then sue for a constructive dismissal, essentially Mm. saying it was so toxic that I had to leave. I was forced out by the toxicity of the environment. Right. So let's say for someone who isn't covered by a union, just a private workplace, and they find themselves constantly bullied, harassed, just treated in the worst possible way outside of criminal activity. And what I mean by that is outside of sexual assault, outside of assault in general, outside of stuff that we know are are crimes, mm-hmm. but they're still treated in a very toxic way. What is their legal recourse? They can leave their place of employment and sue their employer, basically saying that they were wrongfully dismissed by the conduct of the employer. So you don't have to be fired. I don't have to say, Mo, I'm firing you. Um, I can quit and still say I'm wrongfully dismissed? Yes. It's called constructive dismissal. Essentially, you're forced out by the way that the workplace is so heinous and awful Hmm. that it creates a situation where you can't work there anymore. We hear about it often in the context of people who are like denied opportunities for advancement or denied um, the ability to move up in their employment or denied just raises or projects or anything like that. You know, like the you're sleeping with the boss and you get more advantages and that's constructive dismissal if somebody else leaves because Hmm. they're not hooking up with the boss. Really? Yeah. And so all this stuff would go through a civil process as opposed to a criminal process then, right? Yeah. It depends on where you're employed. So it's provincial, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. unless you're a federal government employee. And then there's different rules that apply to them. But for provincial employees, there's a Provincial Employment Standards Act that would govern all of this. I guess my point is, if you are the perpetrator, if you're the boss being terrible, it's not like you're, you'll go to jail or prison for this. No, you'll pay money. Yeah. Like a lot of money? Like Potentially, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you if your treatment of an employee leads to them like developing a psychological disorder, you can get aggravated damages ordered against you. Hmm. Um, the amount of time that the employee has worked for you, so the longer they work for you, the more severance they're entitled to. And so the more money they're entitled to when they leave because of hmm. how horrible you are. One of the things I heard is that because in this case with the governor general, there were no formal complaints and the staff went directly to the media, 
it doesn't help their case in terms of labor law in this country. And the excuse for that, excuse reasoning for that, is that the staff felt like they had no recourse because, like I said, the governor general had this woman, DiLorenzo, who was the acting secretary, and she was the person that you were supposed to go to for complaints, but she was in on the bullying. So effectively, there was this closed loop where none of the employees can or could, in terms of past employees, go file a complaint. How does the law work in terms of showing that you filed a complaint or you made your grievances known to the employer? Is it necessary? It's not absolutely necessary, but it definitely helps your case because obviously the more documentation you have of anything that you're doing Mm -hmm. um, or anything that you're experiencing, the better. So if you say, look, like so-and-so is treating me really badly, I'd like you to do something about it. And then your employer doesn't do anything about it, or if it's your employer, they don't change their behavior, Mm -hmm. then you've got the documentation that you raised it, you tried to correct the situation, you essentially took steps to mitigate the situation that you were in. Um, So it hurts their cases, but it's not fatal in any way. Going to the media is weird, though. Like that, that to me is an odd step to take. Really? Why? Well, I mean, and maybe it's just because I'm a lawyer, but my... You're in the media all the time as a lawyer. Yeah, but I don't go to the media to settle my personal beefs. I keep those out of the media. Um, save them Wait, for the podcast. You, you promised me, yeah, you promised me you were going to talk shit today, so we'll get to that later. Oh, dear. Um, the... Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you if you don't go to the media, go to a lawyer mm. because, you know, maybe this DeLorenzo woman is just as bad as the governor general. But if you go to a lawyer and you say, look, I've got this situation, her, you know, immediate um, subordinate is also just as bad as her. They're both perpetuating the situation. The person I would go to to complain is her. Then the lawyer sends a letter on your behalf. Hmm. Says, you know, here's what my client is experiencing. And I can guarantee you, as somebody who supervises employees, that if I got a letter about the behavior of somebody from a lawyer at our office, I would be like, holy shit. <laughs> right. Like it would freak me out. And I would do something about it, regardless of whether I agreed with it. I would do some type of a step. I would talk to somebody. I would make my observations. I would document my side. I wouldn't just be a bitch. Now you're using that word. Yeah, well, I can. It's about me in this hypothetical. I'm reclaiming it. I don't, you know, I like the word. I I don't like that the word has a gendered connotation, but like I refer to people as bitches all the time. Like these are some of my best bitches. And as somebody who's been called a bitch, <laughs> I'm allowed to reclaim it. Intent is key. Yeah. yeah. Going back to the, the matter in hand with the governor general, though, you think it's a bad idea that they went to the media or it came out through the media without them having gone through any other process? Yes. And as a lawyer, I would, generally speaking, not advise my clients to go and try and litigate their claims in the media. And hmm. I can understand like why, from a personal perspective, you would do that because you'd think this person is so high profile, so powerful that the only people that can really keep her in check are the media yeah. because, you know, the public is essentially her her boss. But at the same time, everything you say to the media and all of this information, if you end up launching a lawsuit or some type of a claim, all those interviews are going to be pieces of evidence that you can be cross-examined on. Right. One of the interesting parts of this saga is that obviously it's not restricted to the governor general's office. There have been so many stories this year, whether it's Ellen or Jessica Mulroney, 
a lot of women, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. But a lot of stories about high-profile workplace work-related bullying. And I'm getting the sense that it's almost taking on like a quieter Me Too movement. It just hasn't reached that tipping point yet. And I've been fortunate. I, you know, I've had great workplaces in my life. But I know so many people who have worked in that type of toxic environment where there is workplace harassment or bullying, things outside of sexual misconduct. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if this could be like another movement. I mean, it would be nice to see there be a reckoning for people who wield their power in a workplace in an oppressive way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because you're being paid to be somewhere doesn't mean that you should be treated like shit for being there. Right. And we all, our stomachs turn when we see these videos that surface on the internet of customers reaming out staff working at stores for mm -hmm. dumb reasons, like, you know, wearing a mask and that's somehow offending the customer or whatever, right? Like, we feel sick. We feel terrible for those people. But this happens in workplaces everywhere. Yeah. And it would be nice to see a public reckoning. Like, I'm somebody who, for the first several years of my career, had a person in my workplace who was bullying and harassing and it wasn't it wasn't anything that was overt that anybody who walked into the office on any given day would see and would think anything of but it was a ton of little things over and over and over that microaggressions they were yeah it was it was similar to microaggressions um so what kind of things well it's going to sound stupid when i say them but imagine that there's an incident like this every day like one day there was an important document that this individual had that they put in the garbage and i reminded them <laughs> that this document was important and they while scrolling through facebook told me that they were too busy to get it picked up the garbage can put it on their desk and said you can look for it was this a colleague or a boss or what was the relationship between you and this other person they were at the time at that at the time of that incident they were superior to me but later we became equals in the same organization yes huh Okay, so that's one instance. So you're saying that there were several incidents Every day. like that. Every day there was and something. And did you ever bring this up to them or another person about how maybe this isn't super appropriate? Yeah, and it was so hard because when I did finally crack and bring it up, it was, you know, there were promises that it was going to get dealt with. And then, you know, like with anything, there's two sides to a story. Mm -hmm. And this individual made a bunch of absurd statements about about me that had nothing to do with me being like bad just it was just like i don't know just the basis of their dislike of me yeah. and so the situation never got addressed because it got chalked up to these are just two women that don't get along <laughs> oh shit i didn't mean to say <laughs> these are two people that don't get along <laughs> no I, I mean you've only narrowed down 50 percent of the population now but i can see that and i know that that definitely happens in many workplaces. I know it's certainly even worse, right, in terms of bosses yelling or being abusive. That that certainly happens. In the legal profession, where I feel like people are very aware of things like procedure and the law, do you still see a lot of this type of harassment, bullying, toxicity when you think lawyers would know where they're liable or how they can get in trouble for certain things. I mean, I'm fortunate now. I don't see any of it because mm -hmm. I work 
at a firm where we all love each other. We all get along. Except Paul. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I love you, Paul. You're great. Yeah, yeah. It's, we get along. We have fun, and and yeah, you know, there are like points of tension, but it's mm-hmm. like the the standard. There's a stressful situation, and we're like at odds about how to deal with it, and then you know, 20 minutes later, we're back to being friends. So. Right. That's great. I just meant in the profession in general. Yeah, it, oh, for sure. For sure. I hear stories from people all the time about stuff that they've experienced, stuff that they've seen. It happens, I think, disproportionately to younger lawyers and disproportionately in that subset to younger women lawyers mm. and lawyers of color. Interesting. Yeah, there are a Despite lot. Despite the fact that they should know better. <laughs> well, it's, you know, there's a there's a lot of tradition to being a lawyer and a lot of the traditions of being a lawyer are things that really do need to change. You know, there's this idea that articling is kind of like a hazing ritual where, Hmm. you know, you have to work extremely long hours and you have to be at the beck and call of an employer at every moment. And, you know, that's not fair. You're just a student. You're struggling. You're not getting paid very well. And you're just trying to get called to the bar. But you see lawyers like treating articled students like like they're like gophers so i was trying to find the word you know like somebody go fetch this go fetch that and not giving them a proper education oh really yeah they weren't i thought they weren't assistants in the sense of like you know go get me my lunch or go get me a coffee they were actually doing legal work and learning well they're supposed to be but lots of people don't give them that opportunity and obviously like you know you start your articles and in the first couple months you're going to learn the ropes and you got to start learning the basics of how the office functions before you can just pick up your own file. <laughs> but, you, you know, I've had I've had friends who went through their entire articles who, like, didn't step foot in a courtroom. Really? Yeah. And that's odd. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I do wonder if there is going to be a reckoning or, or at least just a greater sensitivity towards how employers, managers treat people that work under them i i hope so um and i hope that you know in the same way that we think about words that we use and the way that they may be perceived by people of different genders or people of uh, different ethnic backgrounds as being offensive we're going to think about the way that we do things in our workplaces and Mm -hmm. change even the minor things like you said the microaggressions Mm -hmm. right like well it might seem acceptable or or funny and i heard you laughing and honestly it's funny now but you know, I wasn't laughing your... at you no i know i was laughing at the situation it's of a funny how situ- brazen it is it is so yeah. brazen and it's like now i think back on it and i just think it's hilarious because what kind of person does that like how you know do you get off on that really <laughs> that makes you feel good about yourself okay um but some you obviously don't work with this person anymore good lord no <laughs> okay <laughs> i've you know i've changed so much as a person back then i was you wouldn't recognize me i was shy i was timid i was nervous i was i didn't have confidence because i'd just come out of school i was learning hmm. you know and so i didn't have the ability to stand up for myself or just the confidence to say you know what F this and walk away. Yeah. You right. can swear on this podcast. It's not the Driving Law uh, podcast. Yeah, I swear on my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I haven't heard it yet, but that's fine. No, and that, and that's fair. And I think bullies 
and people like that or people that like to throw their weight around, even in microaggressions or whether it's subtle or whatever, they tend to recognize that this isn't someone that's going to stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, and it's easier said than done for sure, but whether it's the playground or the work environment, oftentimes if you stand up to a bully, they tend to crumple quite quickly. Yeah. They might double down, you know, that's no guarantee. But a lot of times if you call them out on shit and it's true, there's not a lot they can say and they'll make themselves look worse in trying to defend themselves. In this in this situation that I'm talking about very vaguely, I yeah. did in the end, after time went on and I became more confident and more sure of myself, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to take it anymore. And I did call it out. And eventually there was an ending to it. What was the ending? The person no longer works at our office. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it took me, you know, constantly standing up to it every time. Yeah. And that was hard. It was really hard because it was terrifying. Of course. What was their reaction when you first started standing up for yourself? Um, Like attacks that were completely unrelated to the thing that I was saying. So if I was saying this behavior is unacceptable and this is why... Then they would say, oh, yeah, well, this, 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 and this. And I was like, okay. Aren't lawyers supposed to be good at arguing? Mm. Yeah, but I mean, there's a difference between your own situation and like something you're supposed to be objective about. Right, right. Like at the beginning of my, you know, first year of my law career, I wouldn't have been scared of making an argument in court. Like my timidity at the office was not, I don't think it was present in court. I never mm. felt that that same way. Yeah, because you treated it like a performance. Yeah, exactly. It's like you go out there, you're there to do a job. But in the office, you've got all these like personal things involved. Yeah. I was told to check my, well, I mean, we've never talked about this, but, you know, I had an eating disorder. I've been public about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was told that I had to check that at the door and not have that at the office. I was like, thank you. Okay, so I will just leave my mental health outside and come in here. Perfectly normal. Yeah, you know your mental health? Just don't bring that into the yeah, office. Don't. <laughs> just turn off all your feelings. Mm-hmm. Turn off everything that makes you human. <laughs> just be a machine when you're here. And then when you're at home, then go deal with that shit. Okay? That's crazy. Uh, a boss told you that or the same the same person yeah wow this person sounds amazing (laughs) well i'm sure that if you ask them they would have a different version of events yeah what i was going to say is that it's interesting that when you started calling them out and this is sort of what i was referring to you know they're bringing up other stuff or stuff that didn't even make sense or lying people do start to unravel Mm -hmm. right and so when when bullies or people like that are called out, you know, they either shrink back or they completely unravel and look even worse. Yeah. And that's, you know, I don't know, maybe that's part of the problem that like going back to the governor general and, and that situation is if you don't feel like you can call somebody out because mm. their their subordinate is also a bully, um, you know, it's never going to get through to the person who needs to be called out. Even if, yeah. even if the, what did you say her name was? I forget. Julie Payette or? No, no, no. The Her underling. Oh, uh, Asunta De Lorenzo. Yes. If yeah. Asunta De Lorenzo is called out mm-hmm. rather than calling out the behavior of Julie Payette, then perhaps there's going to be a change there. And mm. then 
it can get to the top but like who wants to go through all that right yeah. for me it was years it was years before i was able to do anything hmm. how is your relationship with police officers these days speaking of bullies <laughs> no i shouldn't say that i i was thinking about that segue and i was like no that's mean i'm not gonna not gonna do it <laughs> most police officers are not bullies i would agree there are some like every profession yeah exactly yeah. um but there are some and they are on twitter apparently <laughs> and i have been like attacked by police using anonymous twitter accounts okay so let's go through this step by step what do you post that they respond to and what are they responding with oh i mean like lately it's been my criticism of use of force Okay. by police officers. Very like, hot topic. Yeah, like that video of the woman being dragged down the hallway of her dorm. Right, yeah. You know, when she was... On a mental health call. On a mental health call. Yeah. Or the video of Chief Alan Adam sure. out of Alberta who was like flying tackled by a police officer mm -hmm. for getting out of his car. Yeah. I, I call out that behavior. I don't think it's right. I think it's it's race-based it's gender-based it's based in discrimination about mental health i think that officers need better training i think it's excessive force and apparently that makes me anti-police so that's what people are responding with yes specifically saying... police officers <laughs> so how do you know that they're police officers if they're anonymous well i mean i can't prove it sometimes they'll admit it sometimes someone will be like oh you're you're a cop and they go yes i am and then you know or you look at their tweets and they've tweeted like just responded to a domestic violence call found the rat bastard and locked him up for the night or whatever <laughs> right like they, they'll tweet about their jobs yeah um or and this is the most common one they've got like a like a blue lives matter type logo where they've got like the police actually have this flag yeah about how important police lives are compared to everybody else i guess um like it's just anyway uh or they've got the a picture of like a police shield with the the band on it like right. a lost a fallen officer but you don't have to be police officer to find that jpeg to put on your profile photo that's true but there are there are also ways that they talk like terminology that they use or nuances oh, about yeah. the law that they know that you would only know if you were a police officer hmm. Like, it's the type of, of language that police use. Right. So how many of these trolls were you experiencing? Oh, there's like at least a dozen. Really? That are regularly on me. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And there are so many nice police officers on Twitter, too. Oh, for too. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny because I have a friend who is a police officer, and we'll keep this person anonymous. Mm-hmm. But I remember when they found out that you'd be on the show, they were like, oh, Kyla, it's always, you didn't do this right. You didn't fill out this paperwork right. Hey, man, I'm just trying to keep drunk drivers off the road. <laughs> I'm trying to save lives. We'll do it better. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly I can see why police officers just would be frustrated with you because you run them through the ringer in making sure that they're doing everything by procedure with your cases right which is yeah, your job that's literally my job totally so i'm just saying i can understand why some would feel frustrated but certainly this idea of like trolling you online seems to be really petty i agree with you that it's petty but i don't agree with you that they should be frustrated because they're like 
the whole job of a police officer is to uphold our legal system. Mm-hmm. It's to say, you know, the, the Canadian legal system's great. I'm going to enforce it. I'm going to arrest people who violate our laws. I'm going to protect people who are the victims of, of crimes. I'm going to ensure that the Canadian Constitution and Charter of Rights is upheld. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's in the Constitution happens to be defense lawyers. <laughs> and Sure. You know, all of the the aspects of of the work that defense lawyers do. So being frustrated that defense lawyers are doing what defense lawyers do is just not justified. But let's take your example. In your case, you are a defense lawyer. Mm -hmm. You're up against the crown. You're up against crown prosecutors. So if there was like a really good killer of a crown prosecutor, even though they're just doing their job, wouldn't you feel frustrated maybe butting heads with them? Yeah, well, yes, but I have a different role, right? My role is to protect my client mm-hmm. within the bounds, obviously, of my ethical obligations. But that's my job. I'm there to protect this person from from the state and to ensure that they get the fairest trial prosecutor mm-hmm. possible. Um, prosecutors also, there's not that much headbutting that you should have with a prosecutor if they're doing their job. Because in Canadian law, the prosecutor's job is not to seek a conviction at all costs, but just to ensure that like the truth comes out, the facts are put before the court, and that justice is done. Mm-hmm. So their role is different. So you have no beefs with any prosecutors? <laughs> I'm thinking. I, I don't think I have any like major beefs with them. I would just assume that some professional rivalries, in a healthy way, would emerge, because you are on different sides of the argument. The only way like that we ever have a professional rivalry is like fun. Like prosecutors who are my friends and we're like, ha ha ha, we're going to have this trial and, you know, your client is so drunk in the video. And I'm like, yeah, well, your video is so not admissible in court. (laughs) Is that not, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm actually curious. Is that not a conflict of interest if you have a defense attorney and a prosecutor who know each other and are friends? like No, no. Most of the defense bar and the crown in British Columbia are friends or friendly. Because they're all part of the same secret society, is what you're saying. Yeah, the big, big law society. It's very secret, <laughs> exclusive, and expensive. Uh, I just got my fees paid. Um, no, it's just, it's, it's collegiality. Okay. It's one of the things that as lawyers, we have an ethical obligation to be collegial. And yeah. we take that seriously. You know, you can be friends with somebody outside the courtroom. But you're not going to let that influence your obligation in the courtroom because you understand what their role is Hmm. and you understand what your role is and vice versa. They understand it, too. And so when you go in the courtroom, you're there to get your job done. It's like compartmentalization. Yeah. And I can have a really great friendship with a prosecutor and still have to run a trial to the bitter end against them. (laughs) And at the end, the very bitter end, we'll go out and we'll have a beer. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It is what it is. I would right? not want my criminal defense lawyer to have a beer with the prosecutor. Why? I don't know. Don't it, I would feel like the the fix is in. <laughs> but it's not. But the the prosecutor is only there to get the evidence out, right? Right. Like it'd be different if if it were like a police officer that I'm friends outside court with, you know, not just friendly in court, but like that I hang out with, right? There are there are police officers that I am 
legitimately friends with. Wait, so that would be a conflict? Yeah, that would be a conflict. Why is that a conflict? Because they're the person that's like collecting evidence and presenting it against my client and and telling a story about my client and, you know, my relationship with them could influence the way the evidence comes out. Whereas the prosecutor, like nine times out of ten, is standing in court and they're going, and then what happened? And what happened after that? And what happened next? (laughs) They just ask the questions to bring the witnesses' evidence out. And then they argue about the law. The prosecutor doesn't get to decide which evidence is shown, which evidence is not shown? Well, I mean, they will put in the evidence that's relevant to their case. And it's up to me in cross-examination to bring out the evidence that's relevant to the defense or relevant to the case that we're trying to make. Um, So, yes, they get to decide, but they can't conceal evidence. They can't right. deliberately hide something that's critical to an issue the court has to determine. Like okay. there are so many obligations on the conduct of prosecutors that that it's they're really kind of just a vessel to put information out there and let the judge hmm. make a decision. I'm finding this fascinating because I didn't realize that you could be friends with a prosecutor, but you couldn't be friends with a cop. Well, I can be friends with a police officer. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't. But there, you said there would be an issue of there would be an issue, yeah. Like if I'm if I'm friends, like can you imagine if I were cross examining you? I'd it would be so hard not to go easy on you because I like you and you're my friend. Like if I was a witness, or yeah. yeah. But you don't cross examine the prosecutor, right? They're not (laughs) a witness. They're not on trial. But the officer is. You know, you got to challenge his evidence. You got to challenge your credit his credibility. And so when you're in that situation your personal feelings towards that person might take over yeah um which is why like it's you know i'm friends with some police officers but i you know i'm careful if i get a case with them to give it to a colleague and not to yeah not to take it on see this is where i was going with my original point and this idea of like people being frustrated with you and again I, it doesn't justify trolling online or, or anything like that but i'm just saying like you're trying to build these good relationships with cops and you have friendships with some of them, but ultimately they are charging people with crimes and you are the roadblock between the charge and actual conviction, making their work all for naught. I mean, I would like to say that they're their own roadblocks, but sure. (laughs) I just expose it. (laughs) I too am a vessel. Yeah, fair enough. But you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, I can understand, and that's what I meant by yeah. saying, like, I can understand sure. why some cops might be frustrated because maybe they did work on a criminal case or, or whatever. They collected evidence and he got the guy off. Yeah, that's super frustrating. I've lost cases too. <laughs> Once in a while, I think. Um, no, but I, I get that. It is frustrating. But at the same time it really to me calls into question the whole integrity of the policing situation if Mm. you're upset that you lost a case that you work hard on so to deal with it you create an anonymous twitter account and then troll a lawyer we agree that that's wrong like put on your big boy pants and move (laughs) on lots of other criminals out there is there any recourse if these police officers were found out like if you found out that a cop was actually doing this yes there is what is it uh you can complain uh to the relevant discipline authority okay um so i'm currently gathering evidence on one of my anonymous trolls who's particularly mean um but 
if I figure out who they are, then I can file a complaint. There was one officer once who made a number of very derogatory statements. Did not Towards you. To people who were commenting on things that I had posted, but it didn't matter. It wasn't acceptable. Hmm. It wasn't appropriate behavior. So I filed a complaint and they got in trouble. Did you get fired? No. Just, is it a fireable offense? I think if you were doing it to like a significant degree, like there was an officer, he's backed off now, but who like went and dug up modeling photos of me from like 2005. Whoa. I don't That's even, some creepy shit. Yeah. Like I don't even know where he got them from. I was like, whoa, I haven't seen these in a while. And then tried to tag PETA because I was wearing like fur and, <laughs> and get them to attack me because... 15 years ago, I wore a first stole for a job that I was paid to do. Yep. So what happened to that guy? Uh, I, he stopped after a while. I, I threatened to um, complain to every police agency and have them find out who he was by questioning all of their members. on their And how did you know media. he was a police officer as well? Again, oh, same language? He, or? He, yeah, same language. He tweeted a lot about cases that he was working on or things that he was doing. Mm. And um, he made a comment to me once that revealed that we had something in court at some point that he had not succeeded in. Weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Again, and I just want to clarify, I think there's a difference between being frustrated and behavior like that yeah it was like you're allowed to feel whatever you're feeling or have an opinion of someone but, but certainly that crosses a line don't commit a crime like criminal harassment is a crime yeah <laughs> and that's crazy that you get that type of behavior i saw at one point there was like a lawyer or someone who claimed mm -hmm. to be a lawyer that would constantly respond to your Yes, Tweet. I believe it was like at Yale Town Lawyer or something. Was that a real His lawyer? Picture was like a Lamborghini. That's not a real lawyer. I hope not, because his <laughs> tweets were like, he would comment to like people tweeting about social justice issues and saying things like, I made more money today than your client earns in an entire year. I was like, that is so, it just brings the whole thing into disrepute. Yeah. Like, I just, uh, uh. anyway, he's disappeared though, thankfully. With some of these trolls, I really do wonder how many of them are just like fucking 13 year old kids <laughs> who just like lawyer movies or like, you know, gangster movies or something. And they're just being vicious because I know when I got an Xbox 360, I tried Xbox Live and I'm like, I don't know, Call of Duty or something. And just the shit that little kids would say to you. Yeah. They don't know who you are. No. They don't know anything about you. But just the stuff that they would say, like clearly they were getting some stuff off their chest or something. Like, because they, I don't know, I can't explain it, right? And I kind of understand the mentality of being a little shit. I'm sure I was a little shit when I was growing up. But just that idea of like, let's just scream offensive shit at strangers which is something that you see online. I do wonder mm -hmm. how many of those trolls are just like misguided kids. I mean, I think... Or even misguided adults, yeah, I guess. I think misguided adults for sure. Because, first of all, I don't think there's many kids on Twitter. Like, I think Twitter is not a place for kids. Like, they're on TikTok. Not popular kids. No. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's Fucking <true>. nerds. <laughs> um, 
But I also, you know, based on like the vocabularies and stuff, mm. I would assume that it's adults. They write the so? way that adults write. Yeah. Some, I don't know. Some adults write the way kids write on this Twitter. This is true. Um, it could be. It, that, that could be the case. And it could be just like, you know, little misguided shits. But I think misguided shits grow up into misguided shits. Yeah. Also true. And if you, you know, this is this is a problem, like police, especially there's no like national policy for the RCMP on RCMP officers use of social media. Oh, really? Says, yeah. Like, why don't they have a social media policy? Hmm. Most workplaces do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our office even has like an informal social media policy. But there should be something that says, like, if you're going to be on social media and if you're going to tweet anything about policing or being a police officer, you have to adhere to certain standards hmm. because as soon as you're identifiable as a cop, you are representing that entire profession. And yeah. there's so much criticism about the behavior of police these days. You don't need to create more <laughs> by being a douche. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Do you ever get into Twitter firefights with your trolls, cops or non-cops? I do, but I try not to. But sometimes, you know, I just can't help but feed the trolls. Um, yeah. But I, I try I not that. to because it's, it's you know, if, if you argue with an idiot, they drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. <laughs> That's a great saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I gotta Very wise. That. Yeah, I have the same problem is that for whatever reason, I will get suckered into dumb mm-hmm. arguments. Yeah. So it's and then it's frustrating because then you're in it. And you, if you give up, then they feel like they've won. And it looks like they've won. And I don't want people to think that the <laughs> asshole won. It gets me. My job is arguing. <laughs> hey, I'm, just, I'm doing. I'm thinking in your your brain now. Hey, I was on TV today. You can't get a W on me. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I was that. on TV and radio, and I got a newspaper mention all in the same day. Oh, well, that's you. That's you. <laughs> that's not me. I'm not on TV. You're on radio and newspaper. Ah, here and there. Here and there. And that's also my mentality. I can't get, I can't let these losers get a W from me. Yeah. The mute but button. I've, I've. The def- mute button's the I, best. I used to be so against muting and so against blocking. And now I, I still don't block. I don't believe in it. But muting is good. Hmm. Muting creates the experience I would like on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you get to curate your environment. And then the a-holes can still see me. <laughs> Yeah. Blocking almost gives them a win, gives them that W. Yeah. There are occasionally people that I've blocked. I'll also block back. If I find some random account has blocked me for whatever reason. You just block them. I just block them back. Wow. You got to. I, uh, yeah, I don't think, I think maybe I've blocked one person on Twitter and it was this, just this really annoying person that was not, they were mentally ill. And I couldn't stop them commenting on my stuff. And other people would get in discussions with them. So I muted them. <laughs> but the I'd worst. still see 50% of the discussion. I was just like, I don't want this block. But that was the only time. The worst is I have, I, I certainly do not have the same amount of trolls as you do. But I do have one person who will wait until someone comments on one of my tweets and then comment on theirs. Like, because I because I've blocked them. Right. I don't want them seeing my stuff. Oh my god, I'm gonna like look and see who this is now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it's you know the Twitter algorithm is pretty amazing. Like it does kind of bury trolls. Like it sees people's behavior, 
and for whatever reason, like it's able to determine like, yep. oh, you it, are the worst. We're going to hide your responses from basically everyone who doesn't follow you. I had somebody comment on something I posted about having COVID a couple days ago about how COVID is a hoax. I'm like, please don't tell me. I had it. It's not a hoax. Um, you were lying about it, though. How do I know you're not true. in? You're a part of the society. We've already I've determined made this. made it up for fame and fortune. You are Just in with the prosecutors <laughs> and the police. You're part of the media, so you're part of like the establishment. <laughs> I'm not part of the media. I'm part of the MSM, the mainstream right. media. <laughs> I'm none of these things. Literally just do my job and go home to my dog and eat craft dinner and chips. I mean, that's a good alibi. Yeah. <laughs> Try and prove otherwise. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Do you actually have people that tell you that COVID is a hoax, even though you had it? Yep. People tell me it's a hoax. Uh, people tell me, I get the one I get the most that just frustrates me is, well, you didn't have a test, so you don't know. I was like, okay. Oh, that's a good point. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I don't know. I had all the symptoms. My sense of taste and smell disappeared. I'd been traveling in the United States. Yeah. Um, and I was isolating, so I wasn't exposed to any like germs after that. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a cold. No documentation. I have no proof. Hmm. So I just find like I find that insulting. Listen, I believe you because we're friends, but I'm just Thank saying. Thank you. Yeah, that's fine. You don't have to believe me. I don't need anybody to believe me. I need them to wash their hands, wear masks, and fucking keep their distance. Yeah. Yeah. Kyla. Mo. This time just flew by. I know. It always does. Does it? Yeah. I have such a nice time talking to you. <sighs> This felt like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the people listening are like, this felt like 16 hours. No. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> They're politically correcting each other and then talking about cops and how they didn't do stuff like they didn't run for office. <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic conversation. Exactly what I needed. Good. Yeah. Um, me too. We didn't even talk about kombucha, though. Well, I heard that kombucha is being sold with more alcohol content than is allowed. So, yeah, West Vancouver Councillor Craig Cameron tweeted that at me. Well, <laughs> you need to be careful because of your love affair with the booch. Even if it's a little more, it can't be that much more. Well, look, just I've never got a buzz from the booch. If I get a call at three in the morning and you're like, Kyla, I was drinking a kombucha. <laughs> And I got a DUI. You, you know I'm going to say, I told you so. You can't drink kombucha at night. There's caffeine in it. It's, it oh. uses tea. It's like a black tea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's dumb. Okay. In the day, very possible. <laughs> the scenario you just mentioned, in the day, very Three in possible. the afternoon, then. Yeah. Well, people did want to learn about kombucha and all things DUI-related they should go to episode 53. But if they want to hear more from you, if they want to follow you, where should they go? They can go to acumenlaw.ca, kylalee.ca, vancouvercriminallaw.com, or listen to the Driving Law podcast. And you have a lot of things. So you have the yeah. Driving Law podcast, <laughs> and then you have a blog. Yep, on kylalee.ca. And then you have a column. Yes. It's not very regular. Okay. Well, you're right here and there. Yeah. 
And then you're just in the media basically every day. Yes. And a couple video series. I eat some <laughs> chips on YouTube on Right, Fridays. the Chip Guru. Yeah. How often do you re- release those episodes? Once a week. So you have so much going on. <laughs> yeah, I can't You didn't even busy. plug the Chip Guru. You forgot about that. I'm, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to plug all the mainstream media, you know, secret society stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like most senior would be disappointed by the chip guru. He'd just be like, this is not legal advice at all. <laughs> I'm not learning anything. <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't have to love everything. <laughs> Thank you so much for being back. I appreciate it. Hopefully I'll talk to you soon. I hope so. Thank you. People, she is one of Canada's most influential lawyers and one of the leading experts when it comes to impaired driving laws immediate roadside prohibitions, and criminal law. She is Kyla Lee, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Peace.